Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon on Egg Chasers, or maybe it's the Egg Chasers on Rugby Dungeon. It doesn't really matter. Welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Find me on Twitter, at Jay Beardmore. This, this podcast, at The Rugby Dungeon, or indeed, at Rugby Podcast, which is the Egg Chasers account. Find Cocker, at Cocker, and Phil will be lurking in your DMs somewhere. If you want to see what I do during the day when I'm not interviewing people from rugby, uh, well, you can find me at Beardmore & Co, Independent Financial Advisors. So there's a little shout-out for, uh, for, for the family business, for the family firm. Uh, today's interview is with, well, you'll find out in just one second, but if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks, you'll, you'll see that we had Sir Ian McGeekin on a couple of weeks ago. We had Rob Baxter last week. And if there's anyone that you particularly want to hear me interview, please just drop us a line on the Twitter accounts or however else you decide to find us and uh, let us know and we'll see if we can arrange it. Anyway, enough of all that because there is a conversation to be had. So, here you go. Right, well, I am delighted to welcome Rugby Guru. No, no, I'm not going to go with Rugby Guru. I'm going to say co-host of the Flats and Shanks podcast, the excellent Flats and Shanks podcast and lifestyle guru, David Flatman. How are you, mate? Thank you. Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, I, I like lifestyle. I was a bit offended when you weren't going to say rugby guru, but lifestyle guru I like. I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think you now transcend transcend rugby, mate. Um, I, I mean, I've God, I like to think so because I sometimes go for walks. I have a dog and I sometimes cook on a barbecue. That's um, Apparently, that's living the dream. It is. Uh, do you know what? For most miserable people who have to get up every every morning with their alarm clock, trudge into work, resh- you know, shuffle, reshuffle, and then extra shuffle papers, and then go home at five. Believe you me, it, it it is the dream. Yeah, but you know, equally, they're waking up there on a Friday night, tucking into a couple of bottles, and um, you know, I'm leaving. I'm working every weekend, and I've got. I think. Um, I had this weekend off last weekend, but as soon as the autumn games start, that is my last weekend off until, I believe, the first weekend in August. Is that year. right? Yeah. So, you know, pros and cons, mate. Yeah, true, true. Well, let's start, start, start with this. Um, f- first of all, <laughs> last time we spoke, um, you hadn't even started a podcast. And now, well, I mean, it's probably, well, certainly in my opinion, it is my favourite rugby podcast, which I don't do. It's tremendously successful. Thanks. Uh, how are you finding it all? Um, great. We love it. Um, what I would say is, 
I, I have, I've told you this before, JB. Um, I've got no idea if it's successful or not. We have sponsors um, and that kind of stuff. We get offered the odd thing that we think doesn't really work for us, so we say no. We get offered some stuff that we say yes to. We've never tried to make it something it's not. Um, we do it for fun, and it may well be reasonably successful. I mean, it's still going, which means I suppose it's successful <laughs> in a way. But we we actively, I mean, I have no idea um, how many downloads we get on a weekly basis. Um, I've got no clue. And I genuinely don't care. That's not false modesty. I'm sure I could find out in five minutes. But we've got a Michelle. We've got an agent uh, called Michelle. And I'm sure Michelle knows, uh, but she's under reasonably strict instructions not to tell us or at least not to tell me because I don't want it to affect why we do it and how we do it because it's a low rent podcast. Yeah. Um, it's the lowest rent of all probably, but we, we like it for what it is. And we started it because we wanted to do something together and that's it. That's the only reason we started it. Michelle tried to get us to start it a year before we did. It took us a year to be persuaded that podcasts were even a thing. And now everyone who's ever played sport has got a podcast. So there are now, I think there are officially 847 rugby podcasts. 48? 848 as of this morning, I think, yeah. Yeah. So everyone who's ever seen a game of rugby on TV now has a podcast. Um, So, but we, I like it. And I, we're not, um, we're not competitive at all about other ones in that. How, how can you compete when you don't know how you're doing? We don't check our figures. We're not into it. We just have a bit of fun and people could seem to like them. And if it gets to Monday evening and one hasn't dropped, as they say, we're getting a lot of messages on social media. Where is it? When is it? We had a week off this week. Um, and we get a lot of messages asking where it is and stuff. And people seem to like it. Although, you know, you guys on the Egg Chasers are kind of the originals. You're the OGs. You've got... You know the James Haskell show where the other lads also turn up and play play sort of supporting roles, which is great fun. You've got Goody and Jim's, which is very different from ours. But equally, these guys have got you know production teams behind them, and they've got a studio, or yeah. if they're doing it from home now, which they are. There are budgets there for marketing and PR. We've never spent a pound on our podcast other than the little bit of kit. I don't even know what it is that Shanko plugs into his laptop. His, his Zoom H6. Microphones. Hey? His little Zoom H6. There you go. I mean, I, I, don't, no, I don't know what that is. Um, I've got a microphone that is currently, you'll see I'm not using it now. Um, I think it's in the back of my car covered in dog hair. Shanks <laughs> gave me that about three years ago. I don't know where it is. Um, I think it's in my car, but that's how we do it. And we got, you know, a House of Rugby, which is now gone. Um, and they're under a new guys. They offered joe.co.uk offered to buy us out a couple of years ago um they tried to we'll we'll sort of buy you out of your podcast we want you to do our podcast we'll pay you this or whatever and we were like nah because you need a studio in london then we've got to do it same time every week nah studio in london nah Nah. we could build one in cardiff nah bath nah don't want to do that can't be bothered can't be asked um don't care enough about the money and so we said no and then Jim Hamilton, I think uh, they tried to get Jim from what I understand from Rugby Pass. Um, don't know if he did or didn't want to go, but he couldn't go and didn't. And, um, you know, third choice, they ended up with Tins and Hask, uh, <laughs> who I think was bloody great, by the way. So, um, 
it's all worked out and I, you know, I always wish all the lads well, to be honest. I quite, I quite enjoy the fact there's a few out there. Do you know, something really interesting you said there was um, it's low rent. And I think that's really important, actually, because, you know, we've been through uh, a bit of a roller coaster ride on egg chases. Like, you know, you, you start from nothing, li- literally nothing. And, you know, what I tell everybody, and it's very important that they understand this, is being first is very much more important than being talented. And thankfully, we, 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 we were first. And then you can see the numbers rising and, you know, you get really invested in it and then you get a few sponsorships and think, oh, this is great. Uh, But actually, if you don't enjoy it, there's no point, there's no point in doing it. And I think that comes across on your podcast really well, which is, if nothing else, it's just a good chance to get together with an old mate and have a chat. I mean, that is by far the best part about Egg Chasers is I get to see Tim and Phil every week and it's instituted that they have to be here every week. And you get to catch up with mates who, you know, quite frankly, if you don't put the time in, you can drift apart. Yeah, and Shanks and I will quite often pick up the phone because it's remote at the moment, of course. We'll we'll log on or whatever and I'll he does all the admin and I'll click through on the link and we'll be chatting for four or five minutes and I'll be like, mate, save it. for the, We're just chatting yeah. with mates and you save it for the pod. Um, equally, I've, I've, I've had some social media content, this campaign I've been a part of the last week. And a few things have gone out and I've, I've enjoyed doing it. Um, but Shanks has given me grief about that now. I think he's suggesting that some of my content is a bit cheesy. Um, he said, who's writing this crap for you, boy? I'm getting <laughs> a bit of grief. So he keeps me honest. Um, but, I, you know, we also disagree on quite a lot of stuff. And I, you know, I often think that makes makes it a bit more interesting. We don't really disagree on everything. But it's, um, in fact, we agree on most things. But we do disagree on things. And we're both very happy to disagree and move on. And it's... Never underestimate the popularity or the interest in people talking about nothing. Yeah, it's very, very true. It, once you become, once you have a podcast which becomes part of your daily routine, say, or your weekly routine, you, t- you sometimes just tune in, tune in, download, I should say. No one tunes into a podcast. Um, no. Download ju- uh, just for the conversation. Yeah, and I've got, you know, we're, we're all different. I, I don't, um, I like reading books. I don't read sports books. I mean, I've, I've read not? a couple, I've read a few. No, I don't listen to sports podcasts. I don't listen. I love sport, but the way I love sport is reading the newspapers and watching it. Yeah. Um, and I, sports podcasts have never really appealed to me. I've listened to some and I've enjoyed them. Um, I like all the other lads' pods. I like your pod. I like it in different ways. Um, I think all three of you had something really different. Um, you're the aggression. Uh, Phil's the reason and, and TC's the, you know, the IQ. But anyway, it's like, it's, I, I, I like, it's not that I don't enjoy them, but I find myself, you know, when I'm walking around Sainsbury's at R3 yesterday afternoon with my mask on, I can listen to whatever I want. And I don't think about it much, but I will put something on. I look at my library and actually this, um, the only sports podcast I listen to regularly, almost weekly is the Ruck, the Times podcast. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it is. Um, because there's no, there's no rambling on that. No. It's short, sharp, and it's opinions of people I respect. Um, and I respect you guys, but there's a lot of stuff that goes, I don't need, um, I don't need anyone else's opinion to form my own. But there are people on there whose opinions I'm interested in hearing. I like, you know, Stephen Jones's opinions are, they're rarely vanilla, and I quite like that. I mm. love Chris Jones when he's on it. I think Stuart Barnes is arguably, and Lawrence is brilliant, of course, but I think Stuart Barnes is arguably the, the most interesting person who's on it or they have on it. Um, a very, very 
considered view on things and absolutely not afraid to pick an editorial line and stick with it. Stick yeah, to it. Um, I mean, he's, he's so, I, 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 I like that because it gives me a rugby hit and then that's it. That's the only sport podcast I listen to regularly. I listen to all of them every now and again, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mr. Bond certainly has some curious views. Um, I tell you who I do love on it, though, is Mark Evans. When Mark Evans c- comes on, I just love his... I love how he spans between the actual game and how it's played, because, of course, he knows about that. But also, when it comes to the, you know, the money side, the business side, the organisation, I think he's absolutely brilliant, actually. Yeah, I love Evzy. Evzy's a guy who signed me at Saracens in oh, did he? From school. So um, I'll always love Evzy. He's a, he's a great fellow. And... Um, we met for a beer. It's about two years ago now, but it's the last time I saw him. We actually met for a beer in London, and it was it was a brilliant couple of hours. He's he's an incredibly bright man um, who's seen a lot and done a lot, and um, has very definite views on things. And I, I don't, you know, when you haven't done the things he's done, it it doesn't qualify one to say that he is wrong. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with what he calls proven theory in in terms of ring fencing. The premiership, and I could be wrong on that. Of course, I could be wrong, but I just think that. I mean, firstly, as a rugby fan, one of the main reasons I watch sport as a rugby is jeopardy. The main reasons I enjoy. Why why did I enjoy watching Usain Bolt in the Olympics, the World Championships? Partly because he demolished everyone. Partly it's because he might lose one day, and he did lose his final big race, didn't he, against? um, What's his name? Our kid. They got done cheating a couple of times. I've forgotten his name. Anyway, he, he lost. You know, he lost that race, and and that's why you watch. And as soon as jeopardy is removed, I, I genuinely find it for the first time in a long time there have been some games to, the second half of this season because of Saracens' guaranteed relegation that I have found uninteresting. I've still watched them, mm. but I found them uninteresting. And I realise it's nothing to do with the quality of the rugby or there being no fans there. That doesn't help. Quality's actually been really high, I think, after the first couple of rounds of restart. But um, in the Prem, but I, it's there's no jeopardy. There's there's nothing to lose, and you know it's, I you know I think as a as a fan, that's how I look at it. And also as a, if I were a broadcaster, which is where the money, the real money comes from in rugby, am I going to pay as much for a league, half of which doesn't is, matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, does it? it? It matters on the day. There's pride. There's bragging rights. There's no actual. There's nothing actually at stake. Yeah. Um, and I think that does ruin it for me. And I realise there are Mark Evans. His IQ is significantly higher than mine. His experience is more varied and more significant than mine. So what I would say is that is what I think. That is what I believe to be the case. However, I am willing to be proven wrong. I do not mind being disagreed with disagreed with i do not mind being proven wrong i've never minded that Mm. um but i you know there is there's an issue there because you know i work for premiership rugby and you know we're doing our show and there's a couple of games a highlight show with a couple of games that just you know whether it's 50 nil to the a team against the c team and it's like does this offer a a snapshot of what a ring fence league might look like i mean look at the the pro 14 i mean that you know, there are a lot of those games which you think, oh, whoever it is, it's Leinster against Prem Ever, and you turn up, and even the Keno rugby players don't, rugby fans don't know who half those players are. I don't, and it's my job to know. I'm thinking, who's that again? Oh, tell so me you, about it. You know, yeah. So you know, I think that's really hard for that league, and I feel like we could go, we could go the same way, and you can dress it up a bit like you do with the old LV Cup or the the Big Biro or you know the Premiership Rugby Cup, which is it's a great chance to see the youngsters. Yeah, yeah, but. 
people ain't buying season tickets to watch the academy. Nope. That's why, you know, people are buying season tickets to watch the rock stars, you yeah. know, and um, to see their team win and a noticeable identity with which to identify um, and have themes to about which to be animated every week. And I think if it's first team one week, third team the next, I really think that removes something from the Prem, which has always been such a brutal competition. Even when the old days when Bedford and Rotherham were always going to go down, we lost to Rotherham away. We had we never lost to Bedford. We lost to Rotherham. We had brutal going up there. It was really hard. We had British Lions in the team. We yeah. had Francois PNR in the team. We got beat at Rotherham, you know, and it, we had Richard Hill in the team and we lost, you know, and it's like, well, there's jeopardy. There's real jeopardy. That really mattered to us, that game. Who was it the... really mattered to them and, you know, that's, that's what I worry about on rugby's behalf. Uh, equally, equally, there wasn't going on now, JP. Equally, no, no. I think if if we base it solely around money, sort of from the, the broadcast potential broadcaster's perspective, I think that there is an assumption that the only way to grow anything, um, including rugby union in England or globally, whatever, is to pump as much money into it as possible and secure as much money for it as possible. And I don't necessarily agree with that. We mm. need enough money. We probably need a bit more than enough, actually. But we need enough money. But I think if the only metric by which we um, measure growth is how much money is there sloshing about and how much do these 12, you know, whatever, there's a couple of conglomerates in there, but at least, say, these 12 rich men who own premiership clubs, how much money are they willing to put in every year? Yes, we've got them up to 10 grand from seven, 10 million from seven. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, is that any better? We might get some better players and that might be better to watch. So maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult. I, I, I can't, I, I think for me, the most important thing is the product you're watching and so much of the product is about jeopardy, not just about the quality of play. Yeah, you've, you've raised some great points on the Premiership. I mean, the reason it is so, is it, no, how? it wasn't bad because it was novel. So, you know, we had games midweek, and if you're a Premiership fan, you can always say, well, we've never seen this before. And for that reason, you could probably keep people interested because you had unusual times, unusual teams, so on and so forth. Uh, if you did that every year, it would be an absolute disaster. And you're definitely right about the teams. I mean, Leicester Tigers, I have been on record saying how abysmal I think that they've been. I mean, uh, in fact, you tell me your view on this. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. But the Leicester Tigers... I like, I like tangents, mate. That's how I operate. Oh, good, good, good. Like, they put out a whole bunch of kids. And I have no problem with watching the kids. In fact, I actually think that it's very important to work out who you've got. But imagine that you're a 19-year-old prop or a 21-year-old prop. And you're not playing with the first team. You might get away with it if you're playing with the first team. But you're playing with other 19, 20-year-olds, other third-string guys. You're basically leaving them out to dry because you do not know if that prop or if that fly-half would do okay in the first team with the right support. But if you throw him in with a load of other guys, you'll never know. I mean, I, I think they, genuinely they might have shortened some lads' careers. I don't mean physically. I mean mentally in terms of yeah, mentally and in terms of the performance of putting on, putting on tape. Because if I'm watching that and I want to sign a player, I go, no, he's absolutely terrible. But you haven't got that player in the context of a, of a first-team game. No, I, I see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with that because um, there, there, I think there are two things that Steve Borthwick and Jordan Murphy achieved towards the end of the season. One was um, seeing how players perform, you know, seeing how players they don't know anything about or don't know much about perform. And so much of that, they will know about the quality of the player. So much of that will be physically based and attitudinally based. So how do they apply themselves in a team that, let's be honest, we all know is going to struggle. Yeah. That's one 
you can tell a lot about that. So if you put, you know, Peter Steph Dutoy in with 14 academy players to play against, you know, Gloucester away, there's a good chance he'd be twacking people all day. Yes. Right? And he might he might lose 50 nil, but you'd tell you'd know a lot about the guy. So it, I think that's interesting. But also I think it, it's a bit of the it's almost like the World Cup cycles where we want to arrive at the World Cup with two scrum halves with 50 caps plus. I think next season, international rugby is going to rob these premiership clubs of so many players for so long that they want as many players as possible when they have to pick them to not be on debut, basically. Because yes. when you're on debut, not, not everybody, but a lot of people are saying, when you're on your first few senior games, you're just... Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, absolutely. Go, go for it. You, 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 just, you just don't want to fuck it up. Yes, you want to win the game, but you just don't want to fuck it up. And it takes a while to get past that don't make any mistakes, don't look bad personally, to actually all I'm thinking about is the team. It takes a while. And the quicker you can get people to that point where they're just thinking about the team um, mm. instead of being worried about cocking up themselves, the better. So I think they want as few players as possible to be completely inexperienced when they need the next season. And I think, yes, it was a learning process. Yes, it was a brutal one. And I don't know how much they will have learned. But it, it, when I say it will stand them in good stead for the next season, I don't know if it will stand them in good stead. It will stand them in better stead than if all of those lads hadn't played five or six really hard games. Oh, I think they should have played, but I guess my point would be, so if you think about uh, some of the other teams, they would have a clear first team and second team. Um, so you put out the first team, then you put out the second team. And then you've had other teams like Northampton who really mucked it up. But I understand what they were doing where they'd have a, you know, a 1A and a 1B. So you'd have two equal, sort of equal squads. And I think for Northampton, they, they mucked it up because they needed to target games and, and win the games to get into the playoffs. For Leicester Tigers, I think having yeah, a 1A yeah, and JB, a 1B would have been better. Matter, did it? Didn't matter, mate. Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't matter for Northampton. They're, they're absolutely done. For Leicester Tigers, I think it would have mattered because they're not going to win these games anyway. But at least get used to play, to, to getting to know what it's like to play with Ben Youngs or George Ford or at least have someone to guide you. I don't think, Pete, I don't think lads know what good is until you play next to good. Yeah, but I, I there, you know, there are two ways to look at it. Personally, if you can't go down and you're probably going to lose anyway, mm. I don't think throw a load of kid at, kids at it. I think finish the game with more information than you started it with. Yeah. And I think, you know, I watched uh, Gloucester-Leicester. I watched them all, but I was live at Gloucester, at Kingsland for Gloucester-Leicester. Danny Cipriani bossed the first half. Like, it was a joke how much Leicester, uh, Gloucester bossed it. 20, 30 minutes in, I sat with Mark Durden-Smith and I said, this could be 100 points. I mean, Ollie Thorley scored 27 tries in six minutes. It was carnage. Danny yeah. Cipriani was almost unopposed. He looked so much better than everyone else. And then they brought on, I forget now, was it Ford and Young or was it just Young? I can't uh, remember. I, I'm pre- yeah, I remember the game. It was, it was definitely some first teamers showed up on the scene. Yeah, I think Ford and Young's and all, anyway, I can't quite remember, but they came on and completely changed the game. And Gloucester didn't look like losing it, but it became a proper battle. And you saw the injection of one or two class players there changed everything. Mm. So that makes your point for you. And you think, had they started the team, the game with that team, maybe it would have been different. But I, I still think that you're not going to learn anything about Dan Cole, Tom Youngs, George no, you Ford, won't. Ben Youngs, 
in these games. You're not going to learn anything. And what you're doing is going into the longest season or the season with the fewest breaks ever. These lads don't get any time off for the next year. They're going flat out. So, actually, we can't get relegated, lads. So, rest them. A la Pro 14. Yeah. So, give him a weekend off. What What is the point, apart from the fact that he's very good, um, what is the point in when you're not looking for playoffs, you're not looking for top six, nothing. You're trying to... You're not even looking for survival. You just need to get through it, basically. All you're doing is looking for some information if you're Leicester Tigers. What is the point in playing Dan Cole? There's no point. No, I would agree with Dan Cole. I mean, there really is no point in playing Dan Cole. Um, the the halfbacks, I think, are slightly... Well, there, there, there's, there's two things here, right? With the Leicester halfbacks, they're England players. So if I, if I am the Leicester halfback pairing, not only, um, not only should they not play from your point of view, but also they should not play from, from from their own point of view because if they miss out on the Nations Cup, that's hundreds of thousands of pounds or you know, tens of thousands of pounds <coughs> at, at least. So, and you saw this yeah, yeah, with Courtney Laws. Like, uh, he, he's missed out on a lot Sorry. of money because because of an ankle in, in, injury in a, in a game against Sale. Sa- uh, same one same one as Tualangi. But I think the reason you do play them is imagine you're the young fly half who gets to play with Ben, with ben Young's Ben Youngs, yeah, yeah, Ben Youngs. This is your one chance to get on tape the performance that you want everyone else to see. If you're playing with Ben Youngs, there's a damn, you know, there's damn more chance that you put in a good performance next to an yeah. international player than you do if you've got, you know, the 18-year-old scrum half from Loughborough. Yeah, and I, you, you've, you've got a point. You've definitely got a point, and I don't disagree with that. I just, you know, I remember being, I was still quite young, but I was 21 or so, 22 at Sarries. But I played a lot of games. I played a lot of games young. Um, so I was cheap, I think. And um, I remember there being, there was a couple of European games that weren't very difficult. They were against crappy opposition. And I remember, I think it was Francois P and I saying, what do you want to do? We're going to start the kid at tight head and we're going to start the kid at hooker. Do you want me to start the kid at loose head or do you want to start? And I said, mate, you can't put them out there on their own. Exactly. Like, I'll, I'll play. And I love playing. So it wasn't being a hero, but I wanted to play. But it was like, no, I'll do it. And I'm, you know, play against, Bucharest, you know, and win 140, 120 nil or whatever it was, and 100 and something three it was. But it was like, I'll play that. And then you play against an Italian team or you play against a French team who are awesome at home and crap away. Um, and it's like, well, don't stick the kids out there on their own. Maybe that was because it was the front row, but it was like... No, you're be, absolutely right, though. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, who, who were you... Who did you come through with at Saracens? People like David Wallace, I guess. David Wallace, um, who would be... Paul Wallace. Paul, Paul Wallace, Wallace, sorry. So... David Wallace is a very handsome 97 brother. Ninety seven was the Lions tour they beat South Africa. I left school in ninety eight and joined Saracen. So <clears throat> the first when I was playing loosehead and Roberto Grau was there, who was the best loosehead in the world at that point, along with Califano. Um, they basically, as far as I was aware, got rid of Bobby Grau after my first season because he cost a lot of money and I cost five grand a year. Um, hundred <laughs> quid a week, two weeks, hundred quid a week, two weeks unpaid. And they got rid of Bobby and said, we'll, leave, we'll keep him because he's reasonably strong. I wasn't as good as Bobby Grau, obviously, but I was strong and I was young and cheap. So they kept me and got rid of him. And Paul Wallace was the tight head. Um, we had a few others that came through um, who didn't really go too far in the game. But then Julian White arrived. Of course, and yeah. Julian was, you know, Paul Wallace was very close to being the world's best tight head at that point, post-Lions. Very, very effective. Hell of a player. Uh, but Julian was 
a pure scrummaging prop, but he was on another level in terms of physical power, just another level, um, physical strength, really. But Wally was an excellent, just an excellent rugby player. So he actually played loose head and tight head for the last couple of years he was there at Sarri's. Um, but yeah, they were the guys really played with at Sarri's mainly. Yeah, when Julian White came through, it was like an evolution of the position. He, he was just so strong and so devastating. I mean, we, we played seven games at the start of whatever season it was and got six pushover tries in seven games. No, In really? the days where you were allowed pushovers, just marmalising people and it did me a lot of favours. It also did me, it did, my technique didn't have to be that good. I could just smash into people and because I was strong, Julian was stronger. So if I got the upper hand, Julian ripped through their loose head and if Julian got the upper hand, I just came, put it straight across underneath the tight head and profited from Julian's work. You know, I remember the seventh game we played, we didn't get a pushover. We were gutted. We won. We won. <laughs> we <were gutted>. <laughs> of all gutted. the things. <clears throat> yeah. But the things changed. We were dominant for a while and then someone else dominant for a while and then I was at Bath for a while and we were dominant then and then Saints came along with Mooge and they were dominant for a while and Tigers dominant for a while when Coley was fully at it and, you know, that goes around. Yeah. Every, every, everyone, everyone dominates for a bit and everyone's, everyone struggles here and there. It's fine. Yeah, I, I always like the way that, I mean, this is um, getting a little bit in, a bit deep into scrums here, but I always like the way that Northampton uh, built built their scrum on their return to the Premiership. So they returned to the Premiership and then they eventually won the thing. And it was all led by Majority and Tong, Tonga, Tonga Weir, who aren't Tonga actually, Weir, yeah. yeah, they aren't actually, when you think about it, you don't think of them as great scrummagers. You think of them as great carriers. Actually, they were... Ve- they were no, uh, no. Tonga Weir, great carrier. Majority was scrummager. I think they were both. Well, I always think of them as both great, ca- uh, first and foremost, great carriers. I don't think, I don't think, think Mujasi was a poor, a poor anything else. There's yeah. some guys who are that good at scrummaging who are a liability around the field. There's lots of those guys, few and few, fewer and fewer now, but there have been lots of those over the years. I don't think he was a one-trick pony by any sense. A wonderful athlete, um, but I think he was there for that reason beyond any other by a long way. Whereas. Tonga Wee, I remember watching an interview and he said, do you like scrummaging? He said, I'm oh, not really. I just kind of want to get out of there. But let, take it from me. Like, they were a very effective unit. Um, of course they were. They were brilliant for a few years. They were. Uh, but that was, that, that was um, and I'm not disparaging uh, Soani or Dylan at all, but that was Mujati for me, did, did most of the damage there. So if you watch, there were, you know, every scrum that dominates for a while ends up getting found out and ends up becoming less effective over time. That's how it works. But if you, I remember when Nick Wood, I forget who the hooker was, might have been Darren Davidjuk, who was really good, yes. massively underrated. And Paul Doran-Jones playing for Gloucester against Saints down at King's Home in the corner. They're going for the big push over Saints and they've been dicking everyone. They're in great form and they don't get an inch and they end up getting, you know, not stuffed, but properly done on points by the Gloucester boys. And I remember thinking this is this could be sort of where it turns a bit because what they liked to do was, and this isn't me saying they were cheating, they were great at what they did. And Mujati was opposite, say, me, for example, and he would come almost straight across me. And we call it cutting the hooker's throat. And he'd almost end up with his head underneath our hooker's windpipe. I know exactly what you mean. Um, so it's a proper angle. And then that means Dylan leaves the hooker almost and goes across onto the loose head. And the loose head's got Dylan and Tonga Weir to deal with. And Tonga Weir just effectively, not stood up, but kind you know, Dylan used to come up all the time, quite a lot in those scrums. They'd almost around the outside now because all the force is going across I played against them and they got a penalty try against us they didn't push us over but they probably would have done to be honest if Davey Wilson and I hadn't collapsed it we didn't collapse it on purpose we collapsed it under pressure 
So I remember standing on that field. That was my last season. And I've said this before. I, I remember thinking, I have, there is, I'm not the strongest bloke in the world anymore, or anything like that, but I can still do a job in the tight. But I'm thinking, there is nothing I can do. I'm completely powerless because he is going straight across me. And he's not, he's not cheating. He's not. He's, going, he's not straight across me. He's going across me enough. My right shoulder was knackered. Both my shoulders were knackered by that point. And I couldn't achieve the angle to meet him head on, as it were. I couldn't do it. I wasn't flexible enough. But I remember thinking, if only we had a tight head who just ripped inside Tongawea and had, you know, if we had Kobus Fisagi or Julian White yeah. with Dan Grucock behind them, they'd be toast because Tongawea wouldn't come away from Dylan, but they're moving around and you just go straight back through him and he end up with your tight head scrummaging on their hooker, which is what they try and do to you. So there was a way to do it, but doing it was very different. They were really effective. I thought Tongawea was a fabulous rugby player. Apart from playing against him, I love playing against him. He was just a fantastic player, great carrier of the ball. Uh, Dylan was great and Mujati was a brilliant athlete apart from the specimen apart from anything else but I had massive respect for what they did and I never used to think they're only, they're only good because they're cheating no mate that's what you that's what you say when you're insecure about it all and bitter I'm not bitter I thought they were great I love watching them love playing against them and well, you know we all had periods where we dominated a bit you know it's an unfair advantage but it's an unfair advantage you've got to work on and execute and perfect I mean as far as I'm concerned it's one of those things it's you know if, if if you don't like it, deal with it. Because that, deal with it. Yeah. And it, it, you know how to deal with it. So what you do is you call it hitting back against it. So they would have, if you imagine you're me at Loosehead, they hit and then they move away to my right. So they sort of move past me. Mm. So they kind of, Tongawea, as the Northampton Loosehead, he doesn't quite do this, but if I'm just exaggerating it to make it more obvious, it's almost like his left, his outside foot, his left foot comes out and he stands up and goes outside underneath the tight head armpit and stands yes, up horrible next to him. Dylan follows him through and your scrum is fucked then it's disintegrated they're not technically allowed to do that but it wasn't so it wasn't always such a grave angle that it looked that bad and often they weren't illegal often they were just more coordinated and powerful so to say they only succeeded through illegal means is not true it's not true they were very very effective and you know I remember watching a game um, Leicester Saints where it was Mujati against Ajertza, and no one really tuned up Ajertza that bad. Yeah. So, you know, every, every now and again, someone, he, get, he got tuned up a few times like the rest of us, but Muj that night, wow. I mean, I was watching that thinking, this is, this ain't cheating, mate. This is awesome. Like, this is, I, the, I love watching those guys. The one that I like, and it is a blatant cheat, but no one ever picks up, or sometimes they pick up on it. And I, I tell you who is quite good at it is uh, Petro Marni. It's when the, it's when the loose head gets very, very aggressive, almost comes in on that angle, but he opens up his side. And all of a sudden, Omani will come up on the side of the scrum. And before you know it, you've not got a, you know two three-man units pushing. You've got the three-man unit with a loose head boring in, and then Omani underneath his ribcage in like a four-man. Like four and I think that is tremendously effective. Never gets picked up either. Well, yeah, it, it, it's also, it's one of those things that <clears throat> it's really easy to spot yeah, but the refs aren't looking for it a lot, and it, it happens less and less now. But it used to happen a lot. Flankers joining in and becoming effectively a fourth front rower, and it's really fucking annoying, mate. To be honest with you, like, so annoying. The, the, the first time I found out about it was playing against Ireland schools, and I was playing Ireland England eighteen. Played against Paul O'Connell actually. I went for I had a lunch, a corporate thing with Paul O'Connell a couple of years ago, and with Net said hello, but not properly, and he goes, "Oh, flats." Yeah, I meant to say I played against you in Stourbridge in 1998. And I remember after the game, wow. you won the game and we, we all swapped jerseys. And as soon as we all swapped, we uh, you know, we all put our jerseys back on because we were all skinny and 
like really talented <laughs> and you guys are all like jacked up and tanned and you had you had massive traps alex sanderson had an eight pack and veins in his arms and i was just like yeah he goes he goes yeah i said but you've got 100 caps he's like correct <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> but, uh, we, we were like we were, we were a good team but their, their irish flank had bought in on me in that game and um Thinking, I said something like Al to Al to get him. I said Al before I could even tell Al. Al had dealt with it. Let's just put it that way, and he dealt with it with um. I think it was four clean shots. Yeah, to I the mean, face. bang, 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 like a boxer, mate. And this guy, it was like he didn't do it again. Al was a hard, hard man. But that is a tactic that has um been used a lot. And someone did it to Perry Freshwater a few years ago. I think it was a Lon- Kieran Roach played for London Irish. Good name, Perry Freshwater. I think when they played Perpignan. And Perry elbowed him to get off me. And I think he fractured Roach's eye socket or something. Oof. And I made a joke on telly in the early days of me doing telly. I said, well, props have got to, you know, set their stall out and lay down the law. And I remember thinking I shouldn't have said that because that's not cool. And Roach is my mate as well. Um, but anyway, it, it's, it's a tactic that's pretty easily spotted. But Yeah, I uh, well... I- all I can tell you is at level eight, when you do try and get get, get away with it, you, you will get dealt with eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, some good names there, though. Roach, Freshwater. I mean, this is exactly why podcasts exist. Yeah, that's it. Uh, just Roach, ba- I, can't tell you what, I can't tell you what we used to call Roach. I was about to tell you what um, we used to call Roachy, but I can't. I'm afraid I'm not the most PC. Not PC. PC. I don't... I, not, that's not the phrase I'm looking for. Um, I don't spend my life worrying about what I think offending people, but I think you've got to be careful. Lad. His nickname is inappropriate by current standards. I'll say that. Yeah, but, um, I, I will back you up there saying um, it, is, it is best to try not to upset too many people, which I found out um, to my detriment that I probably do too much. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it wasn't going to upset anyone. It's just like it wasn't offend anyone, I don't think. But it... it VOPs will come out of the woodwork. They'll vicariously offended people. They'll be offended on behalf of someone else who isn't offended at all. Um, but if, if we had a funny nickname for him. And um, But anyway, I'm, I'm doing that thing now where I'm on a podcast saying, I know something you don't know, and then I'm not telling you what that thing is, which is yeah. deeply frustrating. So that, that is deeply frustrating, actually. Uh, you said about Julian White, yeah. he was just a, a different type of unit, unit, unit to everyone else. Um, very boring question, this. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you offer? Did you find uh, that the the best front rowers there was a correlation to how good they were in the scrum and how good they are in in the gym? Um, let me think for a second. No, yeah. Um, well, the, the thing is. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I played against some good guys over the years. The, the only two that really stand out for me in truth were Julian and Kovas Fisagi. And 
Kovas was not a big man. You know, I mean, he's a big man compared to, you know, Gary at Topshop. But he's <laughs> yeah. the, bloke, the bloke who runs a local shop. But he's, you know, he was probably 17 stone or something. But that's not, you know, not a huge guy. But he was incredibly strong. And I felt like his gym work was either X. I think I, I used to hear that he did very, very specific stuff in the gym and didn't do the standard exercises. Um, maybe that was why. But I don't think he was a gym junkie. Julian White is very, very strong. Um, and was very good in the gym, lifted heavy. Equally, mate, you play against guys who bench 200 and they give you no trouble at all. Like, you know, I played against some monsters and you can see the muscles bulging out of their fucking eyeballs and they were no problem. And then you play against Dave Hilton, who's about five foot nine and does a bit of gym work, probably not too much, and he's unbelievably hard work, you know. And if you're good enough, all it's about is being good enough. It's like it doesn't matter what you squat on Wednesday morning it's, I, I love all that I love lifting and whatever but if you you know I, I remember playing for Bath against Sale when Sherry was Andy Sheridan was there he's a great mate of mine and and we were we were in the same class same year at school and all that and Sherry is known for being very very strong there are a lot of very strong guys um, but Sherry was strong and we had a, a guy called Lorne Ward Lorne big ginger monster looked like the sugar puff what's his name uh, um, sugar uh, <sighs> Sugar Monster, Honey Monster. That's the one. Well done. Honey Monster. Looked like him. Great bloke. Great bloke. Uh, South African guy at Bath. And he was realistically third third choice, fourth, if I'm not disrespectful, he just was. Everyone got injured and Lorne had to start, having not really played for us much, against Sale at Sale. And Sherry was there and he was fit and they had a good front row out. And I think Stewie Turner might have been playing, who was hard work on his day. Yeah. So, so was, this was know, back in the day, this was, good, this was good Sale back in the day. Yeah, I don't know if said Bruno had left by then, but anyway, it was, it was yeah. good. and um, you know, we spoke to Lorney, and Lorney's like, you know, I heard about this guy, I heard what he squats, what he benches, and I, we were just like, mate, you, you've been playing tighter. He was older than me, I think. You've been playing tighter longer than I've been playing loose heads. What do you do if somebody wants to take you on straight on for strength? What do you do? And he's like, you do the opposite. I said, correct. There you go. Move off him. Just move off him. Like I, all I wanted, all I wanted props to do was take me on straight. That's all I wanted them to do because I was happy straight. And now and again, I was against Julian a couple of times and it was dead straight, dead even. And I thought he is just a bit stronger than I am. <laughs> and yeah. I blame my second row. Um, and that was that. But it, but it, all I wanted was that. But what, you know, you, you might, if, if I'm just good at, you almost tuck inside and go for the hooker a little bit, even if it's just a 10 degrees, five or 10 degrees. Lorne was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic all night, you know, and he was someone who, Big man, big strong man, but he wasn't asked about the gym. Yeah, he was asked about a bit of bit of contact on a Wednesday and then a social on Saturday night. That's Lorne, he's good time boy. He got signed for too long at the end, and we called him Did too he really? Money. But he he was awesome against Sherry, you know. And I don't think he had one bad scrum, and that's not a remark on Sherry. That's because no. he's a wonderful prop. But it you can deal with these people. That's not not always. But you take someone on who's very very strong head on. It's like well. It's like being a boxer and getting. Into, it's like fighting Nigel Ben. You cannot get into his way of fighting if you're a craftsman. You can't do that. That's what he wants you to do. You know? Yeah, very, very good analogy. That. How do you think you would have got gotten on in France? I'd have, I'd have liked France. Um, I had a lot of injuries, but it's a lot less regulated over there. Um, I, I, you know, one thing I wish had happened three or four years before I retired was they brought in the pre-bind. That would have changed everything for me because my biggest problem was binding towards the end of my career because my shoulder range was so impaired by injuries and surgery. Um, the strength was still there, but the range just wasn't. And um, 
that made it difficult because they were looking for a, a picture of the refs in England that I just couldn't give them. So I did very nearly go to France. A year before I had to retire, I was very close to signing the stad. And I think, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a, I would have been great, but I think that league would have really suited me because it was a lot of heavy traffic, um, quite a turgid league, league, physical turgid league, often crap pitches, which is good news for me. And the scrums were savage, but messy. Um, and I quite like that. So when you look at the guys now who've got perfect techniques, they've only ever been taught that from a young age. I didn't have that. I had a bent back. I had stiff shoulders. Um, I didn't do leg weights when I played rugby, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I do now, but I didn't then. And, I, you know, I would have suited, I would probably would have suited French rugby more than English rugby, actually. And, you know, so, looking back, I I don't regret staying at Bath. I love Bath, but... Um, it it is I, a cool place, it, isn't it? But, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't want to leave Bath. Is one, two. French rugby is known for being the Wild West. You don't get taken care of at all medically. You didn't then. Just terrible. They're just dicking people over all the time. That was the reputation. Take terrible care of people physically. I knew I needed care because of my shoulders. Got that at Bath. Didn't think I'd get it in France. And also, I was beginning to do more TV and media work. And I thought if I just disappear for two or three years, I'm not. I don't have a big enough name. I wasn't a good enough player to come back and slip straight back into all these contracts so I couldn't risk it yeah so interestingly when we I don't know if you remember this but when we first met um, you drove me around Meadowhall Shopping Centre twice and I do remember yeah yep and you said one of the stories that you said which told me which was really interesting I don't know if you got it on audio or not but actually you were given a li- literally a picture. So when when you say then, yeah, the referees were looking for a picture, we all think a metaphorical picture. No, no, an actual picture was going around of what a bind should look like. And for some guys yeah. like yourself, it just wasn't it wasn't attainable. Who was the ref? I think it was Dean Richards, the ref. I think I could be wrong. He came to the training ground and said, this is what we're looking for. And firstly, the bloke in the picture had the most unbelievable legs. He was like a bodybuilder. <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm up there. And I said, right, I'm going to bind up now. Let's find out. We announced the field, played around a bit before we went live. And they used to bring a ref in to make it more regulated and stop everyone scrapping straight away, punch up. Yep. Um, called, called the session off after three scrums because it was like, I'm afraid we refuse to scrummage without fighting. And that was that. It was very childish, but it was quite good fun. And um, he made that trip for nothing. But I was like, okay, so we're, we're, up, we're against each other now. I can't get my arms there. It doesn't go there. So if you want to try and grab hold of it now, I said, pull it up to where you want it. And he goes, Christ, it doesn't go, does it? I said, no, it physically doesn't go there. Like, I've got bolts and screws and anchors in my shoulder. It doesn't go there. So what do you want me to do? Because I've got a three-year deal here. Um, what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, get it up. I said, right. You, you can't pull it down. I said, right. Now, come against me. Well, he was sort of came in. I said, now, what damage can I do with this left arm in terms of pulling a scrum down? I can't pull him down with my left arm. That's not how it works. If I reached underneath, grabbed his collar and choked him with it, that's different. Otherwise, there is nothing I can do with my left arm. The left arm is kind of useless because mm. it's hanging off the edge, hence loose head. And he's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't, really, it doesn't make any difference. Where I said, it makes no difference where I bind whatsoever. I could bind on my legs. I could bind yeah. on the floor. I could bind on the grass. I could bind on the flanker. It makes no difference. And he's like, oh, yeah, good point. I said, so can you stop penalising me? No, because it's got to look like that. <sighs> right, great. Yeah, so it, was, it was nonsense. It's nonsensical, completely nonsensical, and it ended up being a real disadvantage. So, yeah, I, I don't, 
I don't envy refs in any way. Uh, and, you know, right. rugby. The beauty of rugby is that nobody knows anything about it. Even you know, I'll take my example. Right, I spend quite a lot of time watching rugby. I'm sure if you put me in a room with some of the people, I'd know things that they don't. But almost everyone who watches rugby will know something that you don't because it is so intensely complex. So, I, you know, you, uh, yourself, you know everything about scrimmaging. I wouldn't like to test your knowledge too much about um, lifting, uh, jump, uh, uh, line-out jumping te- techniques. So, so you know, the, the, like, there's so many things going on and the refs have got to know everything. Well, actually, I mean, Clive Woodward even said he has no idea what happens in, in, um, in a scrum at... His peak, he was the best coach in the world and has no idea. And I actually believe in that. Well, yeah, I think, firstly, I don't know everything about scrummaging. I've got my opinions on it and I think I know what I'm looking at a lot of the time. There are often times, yeah. even when I'm commentating on telly, um, there are times when I don't know. And the commentators will look at me and I say, I've, I think they just fell over. I'm not quite sure what happened there and that's fine. Um, and we like to default to the spider cam on TV, the aerial cam. Yeah, people think that helps. Doesn't really help. Actually. No, it doesn't. It makes it more difficult. <laughs> often, not sometimes. It often makes it difficult for me to decipher what I think's gone on. Equally, I think I know a lot about uh, line-out jumping technique because I'm the prick that's got to lift them off the floor. That's a good point. Um, and help them down again. But so I know a bit about that. But it, it's it also we're we're in an age where we reject the contemporary approach is to reject the opinions of experts because we all know better. Um, when actually what it what really pays is to not consider yourself an authority on fucking everything. No. And I don't. And I, you know, I played prop. Ben Kay played second row. We commentated on the England game last week. I will say things and I will see Ben's eyebrows raised and they'd be like, yeah, good point. He will say things. I'll be like, oh, yeah, didn't see that. There is nothing. Learning, not knowing everything is not a weakness. No. I regularly listen to, you know, Austin and he will tell me things I didn't see, didn't know. Ben's the same. I, I commentate with Hugo uh, last season and I might have been at the World Cup, I can't remember. And he mentioned something about the backfield defence. I'm sitting looking at the same field as Hugo. We're sitting next to each other. And he sees something that I absolutely did not see. So this is normal. This is fine. You can't see everything. You can't know everything. No. I will make scrum calls that Sean Fitzpatrick or Census Johnston or whoever Dylan Hartley disagree with. Fine. That's, uh, that's fine. I don't mind that. I don't mind being wrong either. Um it's not my job to be right all the time. That's the point. Yeah. So everyone thinks it's their job to be right all the time. You can't absolutely be. not to accept, but it's not. Like it's your job to say my job to say what I think and be prepared to be wrong. Yeah, I think with rugby in particular, and that is the beauty of the game, and that's why I don't want to see it simplified or easier to understand, because there should be so 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 many different facets. I mean, I, mean, I had I, I had an epiphany once, and I thought I think I understand this scrimmaging business um we want the loose head to you know work down and the tight head to work uh, so the tight head to work down and then the loose head to work up and i think i mentioned this to you when you said jb no that's absolute bollocks because sometimes it's the other way around and then all the things that you thought you knew like all oh, right okay uh maybe maybe not then you know you might know everything about that's the thing mate you, yeah you don't know you don't need to suss it because you don't need to suss it because you know this weekend i don't know when this pod's going out but a few days from now from on the point of recording england are playing georgia right so things will happen in that game that we don't expect and i i don't go into that knowing exactly what's going to happen in the scrum sometimes mate they fall over and what what, (laughs) one really common misconception is that when a scrum goes down somebody's cheating that is almost never the case yeah i mean i tell you what i honestly say this in 15 years as a pro i collapsed loads of scrums loads 
I never, ever collapse one deliberately. Never. Never? Really? You're four, you're, never. I never ripped it down for the sake of it. People will argue that who I played against. It's balls. Never did it. I did it because I got overpowered, got my technique wrong, lost my balance, got it wrong. It's like conkers, mate. You know, you get done sometimes. And that happened. But I never thought, this is going badly, rip it to the floor. Oh, I... Never. I would. No, you wouldn't, mate. There's too no, much pressure on you. No, no. Well, oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Different games. Uh, you, you must understand that. Like, you know, playing level six and playing pr- 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 Premiership Rugby, different, you know, di- yeah, diff- I mean, different honestly, thought process. But yeah, I've, I've def- I definitely have done... Uh, I, I also think it. it's easier, not easy, easy is the wrong word, but it's physically, the physics of it, it's easier for a tight head to collapse a scrum. He can bring it down, but I'm kind of on the edge. So if I fall over, my hips kick out to the left and the tight head can march through me. Yes. So it's very important I remain engaged as a loose head. So I collapse tons, mate, but mm. never deliberately. <laughs> All, always because I was a bit shit. <laughs> and it happens to everyone. That's the way it goes. Um, you mentioned about going to France or not going to France. I I should say, and because of course you're doing a bit, um, uh, a, a bit of media at the time. I don't think people quite understand how much effort you put into this because you were actually were you not writing for I was going to say the Bath Chronicle or a publication in Bath basically as soon as the game had finished. Actually, the Independent on Sunday I wrote for, ah, for yeah. four years. <clears throat> um, it folded, but I, I yes, I would. Thing is, mate, if if you're a top player you can get a column. So if you've got 80 caps or 90 caps or whatever, you can get a column. And that's great because we get to read your views and you're someone who's got views and a lot of experience. And it's different from someone who's only ever written about it. However, the people who only ever write about it often are far more objective and analytical than the people who've been there because they're not as invested in that kind of stuff emotionally. So there's, there's merit into both, of course, but what happens is if you are a famous player and you've got a column, as a rule, you don't write it. You ring a journalist yeah. and you have a 10-minute phone call about something. You can suggest a theme or they say we'd like you to talk about this. And then you open the paper the next morning and you're in it and your photo's in it and you look smart. You haven't written it, but it's your content. It's just the words are written by someone else. And that's great. Like That's, that's great. I'm not, I wasn't a good enough player to qualify for that. A, you know, no one's going to get give me a ghostwriter. Then they're paying two people to write my column. But also, I like writing, so I wrote it myself. And I thought, if I'm going to do it, I've got to find something that's different. So what I would give was a player's eye view from a Saturday afternoon game in a Sunday morning paper. Mm. And that isn't... There's only two ways that's possible. One is I ring Chris Hewitt or Hugh Godwin, who were writing at the Indy at the time, <clears throat> and we have a 10-minute chat by the side of the pitch or on the phone, because uh, they're often at the games, of course, and they write another column, they do their do their match report, then they write the flat column, and then they go home. Yeah. Um, or I set my laptop up in the referee's changing room or in the changing room, and I run in, or I run on the bus, and I skip my bath, skip my shower, do everything late, miss dinner, don't see anyone, wave at my parents, don't have a proper chat, and I go in and write 750 words on the match, well, I'm still in my kit and I get it in by six o'clock deadline and I'm in the paper. I mean, that's um, a fantastic discipline to get it. It worked differently. So if I'm playing on a Sunday, I had all Saturday to write it or all Friday to write it. But yeah. there were times when I'm literally told my parents pre-match, I'm not going to be able to chat. I blow them a kiss. I run off the field, shake everyone's hands and I'm writing three minutes after the final whistle. 
couple of times there was so the game ran on. I didn't realise, and the, we finished the game knackered, win, lose, or draw, whatever. I look at the clock at the ref and think, shit, it's five forty. I've got twenty minutes, and I literally miss the tunnel, run in, miss the team meeting, and all with all with permission. Yeah, yeah. And write my column because otherwise, well, otherwise, why are they going to give me one? Yeah, like, there's no yeah. reason for them to give me and, a column. And do you know what? Even if they don't give, stuff. even if they don't give you a column, it's still a good, it's still a good discipline. It's still a good skill set to be working on. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm taking you. Um, and can I mute it for a sec? I've just got to answer the door. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Hang on. I'll pause. Hang on. It. I'll do. Uh, uh, anyway, where were we? Uh, we were talking about your discipline of writing columns for the Independent on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, it doesn't make me a hero. You don't need a, a business for it, but it was what I had to do. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was what I had to do. And a lot of guys now who, you know, aren't playing this weekend or injured or whatever are keen to do the media stuff. But back then, it, there was yeah. less of it, and it was... Well, a lot of lads ask me, yeah, actually, um, you know, I or they don't ask. They say, I'd like to do the media thing. So, well, have you done anything? Oh, well, not really. And, you know, if you want to write, people will take your stuff. I mean, I, no, no one asks me to write. Occasionally, I will think, ooh, I wouldn't mind writing about that. And I'll send 2,000 words into Rugby Pass and I'll go, JB, that is nonsense. And if we print that, everyone you know will be offended and we'll never be able to print anything ever again. Or they say, yes, yeah. go for it. Please, by, by, by all means. So if you want to do it, it's there. But you've got to do it on a regular basis. And podcasting as well is another great one. Not yeah. that we need another podcast, but still. Yeah, I mean... This, when I started out, when I started out, you know, when I started out, there wasn't, you had to be on telly to be in the media. So you, there wasn't, you couldn't yeah. just produce what you want and put it out to the world. See, now, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could write a thousand words on your notes app on your phone and just screenshot it and put it on Twitter. Yeah, and you you are then actually. doing media stuff. Like you can do whatever you want now. And everyone, not everyone, but you can show it to everyone. Yeah. Um, whether they read it or not, it's up to them. But that's very different. It's a very different landscape, but it's good for us who've been doing it a while because it keeps us honest and there's you know, there's always someone else to come along and take your job and I and I think well that's a good thing actually yeah it keep um it does keep you keep you quite sharp uh, just go back to the rugby a second well actually not the rugby but the situation that rugby find, finds itself in uh are you how do you feel about the no crowd thing and I'm going to just uh frame that question with this which is what I think it's taught me is rugby at the professional level is at least as much about the event and the social occasion as it is about the it, as it is about the actual sport. And I think unless we get fans back in very very quickly, we're going to start losing a lot of appeal. I think um, I don't think it will lose its appeal. Um, I think as soon as fans are allowed back in if that's next month or in three years they will flood back in yes so i think that so i think that therefore it won't have lost its appeal i think where it might lose its appeal is televisually because i think it looks crap yeah um but i think a lot so much you know being ardently supporting a sports team makes no real sense because you are passionate that a group of men or women whom you don't know <laughs> no, you don't. beat another group of men or women whom you don't know um, at a sport that quite often you don't play because you're there watching instead. So it makes no sense, but it's all about emotion. So I think what the crowd supply 
the most of in a game of rugby is the emotion that surrounds the event. They supply, of course, almost all of the ambient noise, but they also, with that, they supply the large part um, of most of the ambient emotion. And I think we see emotion from players. If anything, at the moment, the players are more animated because they have to self-motivate and create your own atmosphere, you know. Um, So probably see a bit more whooping and hollering and all that kind of stuff. I think the players have been magnificent, actually, the way they've ripped into it. But I I think that the game without supporters is infinitely less attractive. And while I think it won't necessarily harm its appeal, I think it will stunt its growth. Um, Because any new eyeballs coming to it, it needs to be a pretty spectacular game of rugby to look good with empty stands everywhere. Um, And the whole get them back in, of course I want them back in. Of course I want them back in. But I'm not a scientist. I'm not at the cutting edge of you know, epidemiology or whatever, whatever it is. So I'm not at the cutting edge of that. So what, how it seems to me, and this is someone who's read four things on it in a month, so nothing almost, more than most, less than a lot, mm. is that there doesn't seem to be much evidence suggesting that live sporting events with social distancing and measures taken um, aren't almost completely safe. Agreed. Um, but... So it doesn't seem necessary to make sense. So why is it that kids can go to school together all day but can't play football on a Saturday? And yeah. There are all these inconsistencies. So what I do think is if you were making these decisions, I think it'd be very, very difficult to make unilateral decisions at an incredibly highly pressured time mm. without people loudly and rightly but loudly voicing the bits you've missed and the bits, the loopholes and the bits that don't quite make sense. Some are more significant than others. Um, so it's like, you know, my girls, my neighbour lives four doors down and my girls, my two girls are in the same class as his two girls, but they're not allowed, they walk home from school together and they're not allowed to hang out when they get home. Ridiculous. So they can't come, but they were allowed to last week and they can do in three weeks. So that that kind of stuff you think, well, it makes no sense. But yeah, but just, just do it for a bit and it, it won't hurt and we'll all be okay. But it, the, the sports thing is, it's crucial not because of the appeal of the game, but because of the money that supporters pay for tickets. That's it. Yeah. It's the most important thing. I don't know. Oh, money. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's almost exposed to me that it is more than a sport. I don't mean more in a moral sense, more than a sport. I just mean that when you have supporters there and you make it into an event, you elevate it from just, you know, guys doing ex- doing exercise with a ball um, into something a bit more, um, a bit, a bit more special. I mean, the reason I love going to sell shocks, as of course you love going to sell shocks too, David, is uh, it's it's kind of the event. You know, a lot of people get dressed up for it. They get excited for it. You know, the corporate is packed. You know, there's all sorts of business be- 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 being done there. It kind of exposes what we like as uh, you know, as humans, I guess, which is that uh, that excuse to mingle and socialise. And I think that's uh, sort of what it's brought home to me is sport is almost like a catalyst for. For that you hold the event for all of the ancillary things which uh which, which come around it so i think it's so important that we yeah, actually I, get I, back I, I do wonder if a lot of these a lot of these people who watch so much rugby go to all these all of these fans if you know i, I don't know but i'm sure everyone's a bit of both but if they are actually completely preoccupied by the rugby itself and that is their main the, the actual oh. game is their driver or if actually that is the vehicle to deliver the social 
engagement that makes them happy at the weekend. Second one, hundred percent. Second one. If I if I go to sell shocks, I will watch the game from the gantry. Um, where the commentators are. And the reason I do that is because it's quiet and I can focus on the game. If I go into the stands or if I go anywhere else, I'm enjoying it too much. I'll be enjoying it too much. I'll have a beer. I'll have a chat. I'd much rather talk to someone about rugby than watch the game of rugby should the opportunity occur. Because I can, I can watch it on um, on TV later. Yeah, you see, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. And that's why it's all so interesting because we're all different and we're all humans. But it... It's um, I, I'm the opposite. So if I could watch a game in any way that I'm not commentating on, I would watch it on a screen in a room on my own or in a stand on my own. So yeah. oddly, this fanless experience helps me professionally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd much rather have the fans back, but I, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to sit in silence. Yeah, you, you know, watch um, your games, don't you? If you're not commentating, you actually, you do literally watch your games in, in the press room. I've seen you do it. Yeah, I, I'd rather do that, yeah. I'd much rather do that than sit in the stands. I, I like to see how... I like Depends what the camera positions are like, because um, I like to see the whole pitch. But I think a game of football, for example, is when you're looking at the overall shape, I think it, from what I've read and watched on telly, it's vital that you can... It makes such a difference to see the whole pitch. But I think re- rugby really isn't that because the players are generally compressed roughly into two lines within the shot of the screen. So quite often on a wide shot in rugby, a wide-ish shot, a camera one job, you can see 28 to 30 of the 30 players. So you don't, there aren't people, there isn't a goalkeeper at either end. It's not that separated. So um, I think I I prefer, I like analysis. I like close-ups. I like detail. I don't, you know, 2015 World Cup final, I did the post-match highlights. I didn't commentate on the game because Benny and Lowell did it and obviously because they won the World Cup. And um, I just grabbed a Diet Coke and uh, I got given these great seats with Ugo, I think. And we watched like the anthems and stuff and I was like, mate, I'm going to go back to the media room. We've got the best seats in the house. West Stand above the tunnel, <laughs> media block. I said, mate, I'm going to go back to the media room. And he's like, I'll come with you. We went to watch it on TV, walked in there, must have been 30 ex-internationals in there. Really? Everyone was in there. All the ex-players. They've all got the best tickets to the World Cup final. Not all of them were in there. There must have been 30 lads in How, there. But you all did that. rock stars. You did that because you wanted to watch more of the game, not because you're a fan, just to be clear. Like, you, you know, if you're watching the game as a fan, you would have stayed in the stands. That's what I mean. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, we all yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. I, I wouldn't... So, if I didn't work, if I didn't work in sports media, I would not have a season ticket to a rugby club. Would um, I would not buy no, and I would not buy tickets to go and watch games. And that's not because I don't love the game, or, or you know, I love the game. Clearly, I really love it, um, and I love the domestic stuff, the league stuff, as much as I love Europe and the internationals, every bit as much. I love the Premiership, but um, I like watching rugby like I've always watched it since I was eighteen, which is analytically. That's how I enjoy it. Interesting. And don't get me wrong, I can still watch a game and at half-time, I can't remember anything that's happened because I've been completely disengaged looking at Twitter or telling you you're being too aggressive on social media or something, JB. Which, but, of course, isn't true. You know, but equally, I will rewind and watch it again, but that is how I enjoy watching sport and everyone's different. Equally, you know, how many people are at Leicester against Northampton? 27,000, 26,000 or something. How many people are watching at home? 10 or 20 times that. There are a lot of people who like to watch rugby on screen. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I, I prefer it. I don't want to be distracted by 
having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> as, odd, as odd as that sounds. I mean, if I think about the best games that I've been to, I don't think I've watched any rugby. I mean, uh, the Philadelphia game was dreadful as a spectacle of a game of rugby. What, what an afternoon. Um, the other one would have been the New York game. Again, terrible game of rugby. Um, cracking day out, though. Uh, Ro- I went to Rome to watch the, the, the All Blacks um, Italy. Could not tell you a single thing which happened in, in, in that game. Again, cracking afternoon. If anything, good rugby games are wasted. Uh, no. Yeah, crowds are, crowds are wasted on good rugby games. Well, I mean, you know... I or, went, or the other way around, I should say. France, New Zealand, years ago, my dad went on the Eurostar and big treat and went to watch Jonah play. And I <clears throat> I couldn't tell you the score, but I could tell you 10 things that happened in that game. Yeah. I couldn't tell you anything about the atmosphere. It's a sellout. All my dad talks about the atmosphere. I couldn't tell you anything about who was around us, what the stadium looked like, what stadium it was. I guess it was the Stade de France. I couldn't tell you anything about <laughs> it. I remember the game. I remember the movement. The collisions. I remember Jonah taking a short ball. I remember, I think it was Yarba Jota or something. I remember the fullback not wanting to tackle him, moving out of the way, and me thinking, "You coward!" I was only twelve or something, or thirty. Are you coward or whatever it was? And Write him a letter. Then you're seeing Jonah up close and thinking, "No, no, you've got a point. He's a unit." And I remember them walking out, and I remember their boots. Yeah, you know, I remember the head tape, and I remember the detail. I don't remember the atmosphere. That that honestly, as a player, I loved it because the atmosphere makes a massive difference, and it really does. As a, so soon as I retired, I'm. I think I'm immune to sporting atmosphere. Almost. That's almost. interesting. Um, so, Scotland but, against Japan in the World Cup. Holy shit! That was crying my eyes out during commentary. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So I, that, that's a weird one. I went to Japan to watch uh, a lot of the group stages. Like just over two weeks of of group stages. I can honestly say it was the least informed I have ever been about rugby. Because I couldn't turn on the TV, I couldn't listen to the commentary. All my social media feeds were broken because of the geo, whatever the geo tracking. So when you go on Twitter to look at the highlights, well, I can't, and I don't know which Japanese feeds feeds to follow. For two weeks, I knew nothing about rugby other than what I watched in a stadium. And I don't know about you, Dave, but uh, did you try Strong Lemon Zero out there? No, what's that? Strong Lemon Zero is the thing which they sell at news agents and at all the stadiums. You need about two of them and you can't see. I mean, it is brutal stuff. Oh. Tastes like lemonade. When I, was working, I was working when I was at the stadium, you see. I was working. But afterwards, Ugo was pretty sociable on that trip. Don't worry. We, got, we had a couple of glasses of Umashu here yeah. or there. Um, we did all right. But now that, that Scotland, Japan-Scotland game was, I mean, the atmosphere was, I've never experienced anything like it. It was, yeah. it was, un, it was unbelievable. And... Had to stop talking a couple of times. I think it's Goo, the tight head. I think his name was Goo, but he got um, oh the Korean lad off with an injury. Yeah. yeah, and he came off and he turned and bowed and I was he was magnificent and I that I lost it then. That was it. He is so someone else had to take over. Yeah, does rugby um, still that was fantastic? But otherwise, I'm not massively asked by the atmosphere. To be honest, I just prefer the game. Does rugby still excite you? Do you do, or do you feel you get a bit jaded by it, having been around the game by so, for so long? I love it. I really, I really enjoy it. Like everyone says, you know, I could be watching the old boys against the local pub, and I'd be just as interested. And I, I wouldn't know because I've never done that. That's the truth of it. I've, you know, that's the, that's the honest truth. Um, maybe I would, but I really look forward to the games. Yeah, and I still hate missing kickoff, and I don't miss kickoff. Whether I'm watching it in the, on the, in the media room or in the stands, I, I eat a lot of food. I like food. I would rather not have lunch. Miss kickoff, and if the only option is to get food during the first half or the second half, I won't eat because I cannot 
Like, I can't imagine going for a wee during a game of rugby. So, like, yeah. No way. We're very different here. I'd never do it. N- never do it. I don't leave it. I don't leave the room. I don't leave my seat. Um, and I really enjoy it. I'm I'm interested in the usual stuff. I'm also interested in the small bits, the minutiae, the body language, the what? little knocks, the little cheap shots, and I like all that. What about companionship during the game? So I, I, love, uh, I love watching uh, rugby with Phil and Tim because I love to hear what they have to say about it in real time. Or do you just prefer to focus? If I could watch rugby with anyone, it would be Mark Dern-Smith and Tom Shanklin, which might not surprise you. No, it doesn't. It stacks up nicely. Dernus knows a huge amount about the game. um, And he will often see things that are more obvious that people like me think we're too clever to notice. And he'll see things. You think, oh, he's completely right. Um, he's got a really interesting take on the game. I actually, you know, that's why he makes such a good rugby presenter because he's not just um, gorgeous and articulate. He actually really knows his stuff, which helps. Like, you know, you watch Gabby Logan doing rugby or football. You're like, yeah, she properly knows what she's talking about. She's not just here because she's a slick operator and sticks the timing. Yeah. She's brilliant. Um, so, Durdus, for that reason, also he's just very funny. But Shanks is, Shanks is a very, very good analyst of a game of rugby. And really interesting to sit with because he was a back and I was a forward. But I'll point out stuff he didn't know, which he would find boring. That he will point out things that I hadn't seen. And he'll say, this is all he's doing there is separating 12 and 13. It's easy. Look at this. And the standard rule is 13 can't do that. And actually, I'll say, oh, that's rubbish defence from so-and-so. And he's like, mate, there's nothing he can do. Yeah, There's nothing he can do. That is when he's supposed to, he's helpless there. Um, So we recently watched the... England-Wales game um, in the 2015 World Cup where Sam Burgess started and then he got subbed off and it was really interesting to watch it with Shanks and I was like, you know, Sam had a really good game until he came off and he's like, well, think about this in the first half, this defensive error, he did this, this and this and that was actually the only clean break of the first half so there was a major defensive error. Other than that, he wasn't really tested and it was really interesting to watch um, with him but a very interesting point of view because he's been there and done it, you know, and he's not worried about people not agreeing with him yeah I, I i do love the details i i love i love someone who can who can tell me something which i don't know i don't mean that in an arrogant way but something which i wouldn't have spotted or um you know it's I, fun yeah that's it and that's why <clears throat> i you know I, I i like football i love football i don't watch a huge amount i don't like watching whole games of football there's I, but i love watching football highlights always have i've always loved match of the day and i've never watched many live games which makes me a fake supporter but a fake football fan, but I love Match of the Day and Match of the Day too. And I think the analysts they have on there have been given time to grow. And I think Alan Shearer gives me a huge amount now, tells me, and Gary Neville's the obvious one. Yeah, Gary Neville's Murphy tells me a lot. And uh, Michael Richards, I think, is growing into role all the time. But for me, he actually makes it really fun to watch. And he looks like he loves his job. And that is actually enough for me. I mean, he's, he's also, his analysis is, a couple of weeks ago, what, what game was it? Oh, his analysis was brilliant. Man. I was like, oh, this is great. But it almost got lost in the fun he was having. Yeah, like, oh, He's done everything. He's ticked every box. You- See, what you want is almost someone a little bit glum and just purely analytical against him. And then you've got Danny Murphy, who's perfect. And I, and I, I like being told things that I didn't know. And that's not arrogant. It's the opposite because you're, you're you know, you're, very readily admitting that you don't know everything, which yes. is very important, especially in 2020. Um, do you ever watch the NFL? No. 
because the, the well, anal- I, I love the analysts in, in that. I mean, I don't I don't know whether to, yeah. to the extent that it's too much. Like you think, are you re- are you making this up now? Because what you said should happen has not happened. But I do like the detail which they go like into. Watching, I used to like watching the highlights packages a lot, but no, it, I think it would do it for me if I got more into it. But it's again, I love sport, or I really like sport, but it's not my default. Remember Shanks saying to me during lockdown, there's just no live sport to watch. There's no live sport. It's killing me. It hasn't crossed my mind that. Has it not? You know, I'm very happy. I love I love sport, but I I watch Wimbledon. I watch England football matches sometimes. World Cups, love it. Um, I watch all the rugby, but that's because I love it so much. But really, I'm watching thrillers and car programmes. That's what I'm watching on TV and, and meat programmes and, you know, yeah. wildlife programmes. And so I'm not, I'm not, my default is not sport. You know, my girlfriend never has to battle for the remote to stop me watching sport. I and mean, that doesn't happen. I watch rugby at weekends when I'm here, but I'm usually not here because I'm working. But if there's a Friday night game on, you know, quite often my kids don't want to watch rugby on a Friday night, believe it or not. They want to watch Harry Potter or something. So I will sit with my headphones on on my laptop, holding my kids' hands on the sofa, watching rugby while they watch a movie. Excellent. You know, um, that's, that's how it works. I mean, I love, I wouldn't, I, I can't live with myself if I miss games and don't see them. So I make sure I watch them all. Yeah, I, I, I don't watch that much else, really. I genuinely do not understand how much you love cars and yet your complete lack of interest in motorsport. I can't, I, I can't connect I these two things. I, it, it baffles me. It actually well, distresses of, me. Of, um, a lot of Formula One drivers are, are known for not having any interest in road cars because it's such a come down and they're so uninteresting, which I understand. But it's like I, I love I love cars. I love all cars, but the, the ones that hold the least interest for me are hypercars. Uh, if I won the Euro Millions and I could spend one and a half million quid on a LaFerrari, or if I if I had Ten billion, I wouldn't buy one of those. It's not because I wouldn't enjoy it. It doesn't interest me because it's not it's not anywhere near achievable. Whereas I love things that I, I'm more interested in the more achievable stuff. Like I will, I like reading it. I like to read lots of reviews of cars and watch videos of cars. That I'm not going to buy and yeah. can't afford. So I'm not that guy, but uh, you know I'm not that removed from it. But I'm I'm just as happy to watch a review of the new Golf R as I am you know, the new Bentley Flying Spur. You know, I'm I'm interested in road cars. I'm not interested in racing, particularly. It just it just hasn't really ever floated my boat. The, the, the motorsport I love the most is rally driving. I love, I love yeah. watching rally driving yeah. more than anything, uh, more than any other motorsport. But um, there isn't a huge amount of it on telly anymore. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to end this interview. And the reason I'm going to end it is because I wanted to talk to you then about um, rally clips on YouTube and also watching car reviews. And I thought, that's not appropriate. It's a, it's a podcast about rugby. <laughs> But uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I could talk to you about most things for a long, long time, Flats. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Um, just remind everyone where we can find you, what your social channels are, how we hire you, how much it costs. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, it's always the love of the game I do it for. Um, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, where can you find me? Uh, Twitter is David Flatman. Instagram is... David Flat or is, no D? I think it's D Flatman. I'm not being falsely modest here. I actually think I don't quite know. D Flatman. D yep. Flatman. Generally barbecuing. Um, and uh, the next few weeks, you can find me on Prime Video. 
Uh, commentating the England matches, oh, presenting with you do the England games, Dylan Hartley and Brian Habana and Gabby Logan and all that crew. Yeah, oh, excellent. <clears throat> no, okay. Yeah, let's leave it there because otherwise I'll, I will start asking you about the England games. Um, awesome. Yeah, if you want, <laughs> I for one most look forward to seeing you on uh, on Prime Video. And Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, JB. Take it easy, mate. Cheers. All right, let me all just right. how. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 